and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals. I hope you've not all melted away. Last night on Love Island, Ovi put his hat in the fridge to keep his head cool, so there's always that if it gets too much. So this is the penultimate episode of the first season, and I can't believe I kicked this off in January and we're now in July. But before I say goodbye for a short while, I've got two more absolutely banging episodes in store for you. And for this week's, I spoke to Jasmine Morrison. Formerly an investment manager at the Fizz Facility, a production and financing company based in London, having worked her way up the ranks from executive assistant, Jasmine currently heads up Soul Cognition, a production and consultancy company that she founded. So I think it's fair to say Jasmine is a bit of a powerhouse. We talk about different types of film financing, gender representation in certain film sectors such as finance and distribution, and her advice for people wanting to get into the film industry. So sit back, grab a nice coffee or a fridge hat and enjoy episode 28 of Best Girl Grip. Thanks for inviting me along. <laughs> so the place I always get guests to start is the sort of inauguration of your career and perhaps what you studied at university, if you did go to university, um, and then what your first job in film was. I went to university and I studied philosophy, religion and ethics, which is obviously completely irrelevant to film sometimes. And my first job was actually, I did a two-week work experience with a TV production company and then I started an internship at uh, the Fizz facility, which then turned into a full-time position where I ended up spending six years. Wow. And how did you hear about those opportunities, like the work experience and then the internship? So I am very lucky, the fact that my uh, father is actually a tax accountant who specialises in film. So we made a deal when I was 16 that if I went to university to study nothing to do with film, he would introduce me to people when I left. And it was all about introducing me to people but not getting me a job. So it was basically if I I could get introduced to them and we agreed also that I had a one-year period to get a job and if I didn't get a job in that time, Mm -hmm. I would go and find a proper job. I had to have a backup plan. So the idea was that I had a degree that was kind of multi-purpose, transferable skills. So it was kind of working my bum off (laughs) to be able to actually make an internship into a full-time position. My backup plan was actually to go back and study to become a lawyer, to then become a media lawyer. In a way, was a backup plan to end up in the same place (laughs) that I wanted to be anyway. It was basically to me, I always, from the age of probably before I can actually have proper memories, I always wanted to work in media. And initially that started out as being an actress and my dad basically said to me that probably wouldn't suit my personality because I'm not very good at sitting around waiting for jobs to come along. I'm the person that wants to be involved in every facet of what's going on. And it was that point when I decided that I needed to think about just finding out about the other jobs that were there. Coming into the industry, there's not a clear visibility of all the jobs that are out there from all the way on set crew all the way to distribution. Yeah, and so you say you're interested in media. Was the financial aspect to you compelling because your dad did it? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
honestly, I, I've said to quite a few people in the time that I've been working in this industry, especially in the time I've been working in finance, that if you would have said to me when I was 18, I, en- I would end up working in finance, I probably would have just laughed. I was always someone who was quite good with math, but I always thought I'd be, you know, on set, you know, in some kind of, maybe in the art department or maybe in the AD department when I first got involved in uh, actual film when I was working. So the first six months that I worked at Fizz as an intern, I was a production intern, I guess I could say. So I was on set every single day on the first production that they did um, called Super Bob. And I absolutely loved being on set. I was that helping... That was a fun set to be on as well. That was like, a really like very, fun set like, to be on. Low budget and like good people. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I realised... I think it kind of actually dawned on me that I liked independent film more than the idea of going into a studio system because I like working with small teams. I like being able to know the names of everyone I'm working with. I like to know intimately details about their life. I remember, you know, even at the end of the production, just kind of going, how can I get a job as like a, uh, an AD runner if, you know, Fizz doesn't work out? Eventually Fizz did work out and <laughs> after a certain period it ended up in finance. And I think that was just because I was working with, you know, an amazing company who kind of realised that I had a certain skill set and a real passion and drive, which you're lucky to find in in your first job, essentially. I ended up working as production coordinator on the first couple of films they did and working as production coordinator on the same films when they kind of got to the end of their life cycle of production. And then a, a colleague of mine left and I was presented with the opportunity to move into the finance team because of the fact that I'd been working as uh, the executive assistant to the director of the company who had basically been the lead on the financing side. I'd been listening to a lot of calls. I was naturally quite interested in just being able to understand everything, just naturally curious. And I would go home and on my journeys home, I would read the loan agreements and I would read the contracts to be able to understand what people were talking about on phone calls. It just really meant that I learned quite a lot very quickly. And then it got to the point where the job offer was there and it was something that at the time, there was a realisation to me that there wasn't that many women in finance anyway. If you're sitting on a closing call, you'll notice that there's probably at maximum two female voices on the call. And at least that was my experience. And I thought, this is something that not many people really understand. And it's also something that, as well as not understanding, there's not many women representing this side. So to me, it was naturally interesting. And because I was thinking about what would be my next move, I thought that either if I decided to carry on working in finance, this was going to be you know, the start of that, that career process. Or if I decided I wanted to go into a different area, I was still going to be someone who had a skill set that not many people do. Yeah. And um, I'm interested to know kind of what FIV does, just because for most people, kind of what does an investment company kind of look like? What's your day-to-day looking like? So when I was at Fizz, I was the investment manager, which I left in May this year. And... The first thing you have to understand if you're trying to understand the world of finance is there's very different types of finance. Probably if you think about it quite generally, um, in terms of production financing, there's kind of three main areas. So you've got production finance in terms of senior debt, you've got equity and you've got soft money. 
So when we talk about senior debt, we're talking about cash flowing of pre-sale distribution contracts, tax credits, and gap. And then if you're talking about equity, you're talking about an equity investment into the film. And if you're talking about soft money, you're really talking about money that comes from regional funds, um, such as the BFI, such as, you know, Screen Yorkshire. Uh, if you're going to Europe, if you're, you know, the European various boards in each different country. As I was working in senior debt, I think the easiest way to always explain it is it's much like working out if you would give someone a mortgage. So it's looking at a collateral package and working out what the risk level is. So senior debt is very risk averse. So you're working out based on other films that you've worked on, your experience uh, of the market and your knowledge of the market, how much you think you could lend against each contract. Even in terms of individual distributors, you wouldn't necessarily lend 100% of the contract because you might have had a bad experience with them paying their final instalment and things like that. A lot of it comes down to looking at the market, which I think that people don't necessarily always understand. Um, you know, we're looking at projects and saying, is this a festival film? Is this a commercial film? Is this something that's going to go straight to TV? Is this something that will get a theatrical release? What type of sales agent is on board? What's the risk with this sales agent? What's our experience been before? And it's quite, there is a certain amount of kind of knowledge-based understanding. So a lot of the job is reviewing each project that's submitted and working out what you think could be lent against it. Even in terms of different tax credits around the world, there are certain tax credits that are new that come out that you know sound great initially, but you'll find that because no one's ever gone through the process of actually using that tax credit before, it's a big risk for a financier. So if you're going to a senior lender, you know if you're talking about the FIS facility, if you're talking about creativity capital, headgear, um, all in the UK, they might not want to lend against the new tax credit that's just been announced because we don't know the risk level on it. So it's looking at all of these different things and going, how much can we actually lend this production? As well as the fact that you have to go through the actual closing process once you actually get to a point on a, on a film that you think you can lend mm. against. Which is something that is quite often underestimated in terms of how much work is involved. There have been a number of times when I've been working until about two o'clock in the morning on a closing especially because at the Fizz, a lot of the productions we worked on were US-based. We worked on some that were Australian-based, some South African-based. So you're working in a kind of global market Mm. and you have to work on a global timescale as a result of it as well. So it can be very varied in your day-to-day depending on how many closings you're going through, how many films you've got submitted to you. It tends to work in a, as you would imagine, you know, the times of the year that there are more productions going into production, you'll find that you're busier. So also after each market, so after Berlin, after Cannes, after Toronto, after AFM, you're going to have more submissions because people are trying to get finance in advance of potentially their sales agent going out and making these sales. So it's about knowing, you know, those markers in the year when things get really busy. And did Fizz have kind of like a house style? Like you mentioned that you were quite interested in independent film early on. Is that kind of the space that they're working in? With senior debt, it mostly comes down to risk level. It's it's looking at the risk level and saying, you know, is this... For example, you might find that there is a negative pickup deal. And a negative pickup is essentially when a studio agrees to buy a film at some date in the future. 
So there is an amount, there is terms, there is everything on the table, but they're not giving you any money up front. So that's just about simple cash flowing. That's a lower risk level. And, you know, studios have money. We're not worried about that coming back. It's just about timescale and things like that. So there are different things that you have to think about all the time. So it doesn't really, you know, there might be films that to the outside audience, they look like studio films, but they've actually been financed in an independent way. When I left Fizz, the idea of setting up my own company was about trying to help producers, predominantly producers, but also consulting with different companies to be to make sure that they had the understanding of where a financier thinks. Um, because I don't think there's very much visibility about that, even within this industry as well. My company now, Soul Cognition, works with producers. We work with sales companies. We work with lawyers. We work with, you know, kind of across the board working with people to help them package their films in a way that is accessible to financiers and also understanding how to pitch a senior debt lender versus an equity investor versus what are, what's your plan for your short film? What are you looking for in development for your feature? Um, are you looking at a slate deal? So understanding that they are all different packages and you need to understand the difference between each of them in order to be able to make the best first pitch you can. Um, you mentioned that you just set up your own company, sort yes. of recognition. Why did you make the move away from an established firm into yeah, setting that up yourself? Mostly because of the fact that there was there are a lot of amazing companies out there doing financing. Mm. One of my big slight regrets is the fact that when you work as a financier, you don't actually get to work physically uh, across the whole production. And to me, especially because Fizz was not just a senior lender, but also a production company, my biggest joys and the, the films that I enjoyed working on most were the ones that we were producing in-house because I got more hands-on experience. You know, I was across the whole of the film. Mm-hmm. And if I was to move, make the move straight into another finance company, it just felt like I would go back into solely doing the transactional, reviewing films, reviewing packages, doing the closings. And as much as I enjoy doing that, it doesn't fulfill me enough. So it was more about, okay, if I'm to make this move, where am I going to go? It took a bit of thinking about, and it just made sense to say, I want to work on productions in kind of an executive producer role on some of them, but more because I would like to see the UK especially making more films that are commercially minded, that are going to have that amazing release worldwide and not just you know, in festivals and knowing how to strategically put films in that category to me was something where I realised that was where my passion was. As well as wanting to always produce, I said that to myself that I wanted to work with people, I wanted to work with productions and I wanted to make amazing UK-based films that are, and I'm there to support the producers, I'm there to work with the producers across the whole of, you know, the beginning process from all the way from development, all the way from to distribution and beyond because that is the most exciting path and the most exciting journey to mm. me, working in film. And you're a one-woman band, it's just you. Yes. Which, what, what, like, what's that like? That must be quite scary. It's, I couldn't explain how amazing it is. Mm. Initially, yes, it's, it's always scary to say to yourself, I'm going to go out and set a company, company up on my own. But... Actually, because I've been working in the industry for such a long time, there was a certain level of connections that were made and conversations that have very quickly turned into work 
and as well as you know running uh, soul cognition i've also taken a job like you know i've i've become part time business director of underwire film festival mm-hmm. i consult with an initiative called breaking through the lens which organizes events so it's just had its second event at can this year where a selected amount of female directed projects pitch a room full of financiers sales agents and distributors because as well as making sure that producers generally are knowledgeable about finance it would be amazing to be able to have a, it's it's just amazing to have a platform where female directors have that front facing you know financier discussion making sure that these films get made because we all know that there is a huge disparity between the amount of films film directors who are women who are out there making films versus how many are getting actually made so it's being it's amazing to be able to work on that initiative as well so it's turned into a complete whirlwind very quickly which is amazing yeah. <laughs> are you working from home like logistically how does that work this sounds very random but i'm i actually live on a boat uh, <laughs> you're actually not my first guest who just lives on a boat yeah there's quite a few of us me and my partner are actually building a canal boat we from the ground up so we're building it in a way that is eco-friendly sustainable and that really works for us in terms of we're nature people we like being outside so it's nice to be able to enjoy that together so there is a considerable amount of working from home uh, and traveling in Soho taking meetings with people essentially to me it doesn't make sense to have an office when I'm working with other people because I won't necessarily be there as much as you know the rent would cost this being London so it's about I'm mobile I'm working with other people I'm consulting with other people I am EPing on projects and I go where I need to be to get the most amount of work done and that's really what it comes down to so all the projects that you take on now at Soul Recognition are you exec producing? So I am exec producing. I am also putting a slate together with my producing partner of short films, feature films, web series that we're going to produce ourselves, as well as just exec producing on other projects as well. So it's really nice to be able to work in quite a fluid way across different projects. Mm-hmm. To me, it's also important to not set a precedent of definitely where you're coming into a project, but making sure that you're working with a project in terms of what it needs, rather than forcing your way in as an EP. If it's a consultant, you know, if it's consultancy, then it's consultancy. It's very different. And obviously, I don't want to be another line in the budget that could have gone into the screen when it doesn't need to be there. Do you think that happens quite a lot, that there's money that, you know, Another, as I say, another land budget that doesn't need to be there. Kind of, how does that happen, and how do you stop it from happening? To me, the biggest thing that we need to always make sure is that we're prep is key, prep is king. It's about not just necessarily bringing on other people to do one job. There are a huge amount of people in this industry that are so incredibly talented, and we see producers all the time that work across physical production as well as you know, financing as well as closing that financing. They work across a multitude of facets, whereas I think that too often people can, in a knee-jerk reaction kind of way, feel the need to bring on someone to play one specific role. I think for me, especially with Soul Cognition, it's about putting the power in the hands of the producers to say, I'm working with you and I'm only coming on as an EP to make sure we get all of these other things done. I'm not going to come on board as a producer if I don't need to be a producer. Let's try and make sure that you have the support where you need to. So 
if you're a producer that's really good with physical production but aren't necessarily great in terms of raising the finance or closing the finance that's where I would fit into that role and I'm there to support you through the whole the whole, whole process basically mm. a lot of the time I talk to producers and they've said okay well I think we need to bring on another producer and an EP and it's just kind of talking through with them why do you think you need that what is the part where you actually feel like you can't fully commit to that area and then saying okay well have we thought about doing this in a different way have you thought about maybe you don't need this maybe you need a really experienced line producer who can take some of this you know heavy lifting off your shoulders and working at it that way rather than as most people know when you watch an independent film seeing the tons of credits that come in in the front end which many people make fun of all the time. And it's just, a lot of the time it's, okay, well, we know that you might need one for the US distributor, you might need one for the sales agent, but let's try and keep it as low as possible to make sure that everyone who's on the project is working as hard as they can to get the project made versus having a bunch of credits where someone did one tiny thing and they got a credit that was bigger than the DOP who was on every day. It's To me, it's just about balancing. It's about recognition where recognition is due, but also... I think that producers are, it's a, it's a seriously tough job. It's a seriously tough job being a producer. And my biggest problem is I think that when you move, make the move from short films over into feature films, there's not enough support to be able to understand, you know physical production, you can make a short film, you know physical production, but do you know the rest of it? Do you understand how distribution works? Do you understand how financing works? And those are the big leaps that most producers aren't necessarily prepared for especially going into their first feature. My role is to be there to support you, whether you're a first-time feature producer or you're a 15-time feature producer and you want someone to be able to take some of the weight off your shoulders. And you've been working in this space for seven years now? Yeah, six six and a half years. And I'm wondering how it's changed since you've been working in finance um, and what you feel maybe some of the current trends or challenges are. I think that when you look at financing, you always have to look at the market. The big thing to look at is where is distribution? What's going on in terms of theatrical release versus other types of you know releases? The big thing, obviously, is Netflix and Amazon coming in. But also with the arrival of Netflix and Amazon, it was also looking at financial packages that were different. So, for example, uh, Netflix, if they purchase a film, normally paying quarterly instalments over a period of years for their license fee. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally with uh, standard MG from a distributor, you would expect, say, a 20% deposit and 80% on complete delivery. So it's about working these models. One of the things that we're having at the moment is there are far fewer films that are getting a theatrical release, which means that license fees and minimum guarantees are much lower than they were before. It's also then the big issue for most producers at the moment is how do I make a film that I know is physically going to cost me five million, but in terms of distribution, I might only get two million. How do I go out and find, you know, especially equity that is willing to put in that risk? I think especially in the UK, we do have a shortage of equity. That means that it's very hard to get a lot of projects off the ground. In terms of, you know, if you have a sales agent, if you have dis- uh, distributors, if you have a tax credit, those things are, you know, there's, a, like I said earlier, there's quite a lot of companies out there that will cash flow that. So, you know, you've got, like I said, Creativity Capital, Headgear, you've got uh, Silver Reel, you've got Fizz Facility and multiple other lenders across the UK and worldwide. But it's the equity that's really hard to source because we also know that 
regional funds only have a you know a, a certain pot they have a limited pot they can use and when you're one production of probably thousands or millions you're competing with a lot of other people that might tick whatever their remit is better than you so for most producers at the moment the big struggle is where do i find equity and that is something that not very many people have an answer to so it's the big thing of how do i go and find high net worth individuals or do i go and find product placement or all of these different options that can take sometimes years to find in that time you might have attached a director that then you lose the availability you might have found a cast member that you then lose the availability so it's about making sure that not only you're finding the money but also everything comes together at the right time which is a huge juggling act more than anything else what do you enjoy most about working in this space i love movies <laughs> I was a massive square-eyed kid growing up. I remember a time when my parents found me at seven o'clock in the morning watching My Fair Lady because I hadn't actually gone to bed yet. There is something that's incredibly emotional about sitting there in a in a cinema or on your laptop or on your phone or on a plane and watching a film that you've been involved in. It's just it is a magical feeling. I can only really explain it like it's. Going into that screening is like being a kid at Christmas. It is so emotional and so happy and you're part of such a huge team, which kind of becomes your family because you work with them so intensely, mm. that it is a real bonding experience. It's the privilege of being able to work in this industry is amazing. A lot of the time I think about the fact that making a film is like a legacy. It's something that will live on after you do. It's like having a child. It's just an amazing experience. And it's something that most people in this industry only do because they have a true passion for it. Mm-hmm. And do you see yourself continuing on in kind of the, the financing element of things or would you see yourself moving into more producing? I think for me, it's important when you have a skill set to make sure that you're also teaching other people. So I would say that definitely my role at the moment is 50-50. And that's exactly where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. So... I would never think about moving fully into production without having something that I'm doing in the financing space. What that could be in 10 years is I have many dreams about it. <laughs> But I think that for me it's always about being able to balance the two. Telling the stories in a production and financing way is super exciting, but also like I said, there are very few courses out there that I think even properly prepare producers to understand finance. Mm. So for me, it's about there is constantly going to be a role out there for someone who understands it, who's actively worked in it and actively is still working in it to be able to teach up and coming producers, to teach, you know, the next generation of filmmakers, as well as working with people and helping everyone along the way to just make the financing just a little bit easier. Did you have a mentor or anyone that you looked to for like advice when you were sort of like working your way up the ladder? Really, it was about working in the team that I did that motivated me but also I've always and I say very um I've always been very driven and I think what most people mean when they say driven is I'm like really stubborn <laughs> so to me it was always I knew I wanted to be able to make a living in this and I was going to work every hour of the day every second of the day and I was going to give it every blood sweat and tear that I could possibly muster up I think that when you set yourself a target you just work towards it and I worked with a great team that I really enjoyed working with Is it hard? Yes. Did we bicker all the time? Yes. Did we laugh? Did we cry? All of the above. But it's about 
I was lucky enough to work with a team that I really enjoyed working with, even if it was difficult. I think especially, like I said earlier, there wasn't many women in the finance space that you could kind of look up to. And so it was being able to look at other people and say, they're doing that. I want to be able to do that in two years. Right, okay, I've done that now. What can I do next? Where am I going next? I want to do more. And I think that for most people, you look to other people in the industry, whether it be other directors that you think are making amazing stories, other producers, other financiers that you're jealous because they got the film and you didn't. And you look at those things and go, okay, I want to do that. I want to win that next thing. I want to make that next film. I want to do all of that. And I think that that naturally drives you anyway. I think especially when working in film, you have a tendency to learn a lot very quickly. And I would say that you probably learn more working in film than you probably could ever in a film course or in theory. So the fact that you learn quite a lot quite quickly just pushes you on anyway. I've kind of come to think that any role that you're in, if it feels adjacent to what you actually want to be in, it can still help in the long run. As you say, like the production kind of element has probably informed your conception of how to put production together later on. I think there's kind of no bad role. I completely agree. I think that one of the things things that I would say to anyone who wants to get into the industry is go out and work in the industry. And it doesn't matter if it's your perfect job or it's a job that you know you can just add to your CV. I think the best thing for anyone who wants to work in this industry is to work in a variety of different roles and really find your niche as well. So, like I said, I never would have thought I ended up I would have ended up working in finance. I honestly never even really considered it. And I fell into it. I fell into it because I was offered it and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting, I'll try it out. It's amazing how much more that can inform what you do. I honestly believe that this industry is an ecosystem. It couldn't work without every single part of it. So the more parts you understand, the just the better you are as a filmmaker. And you mentioned earlier that when you first came into it, there weren't very many women working you know, with and above you. Do you feel like that's changed for the better? I found that there are certain women who are of my age that are also working in finance that we've all come up together. I really only know about six women who are working purely in the financing space in London. Mm. So no, at the moment. <laughs> I... Over the last couple of markets, I've organised a female financiers dinner. The most people we've ever had is 11 across the US. And everyone that I knew who worked in finance inviting someone that they knew. To say that I only maximum had 11 people at each of those things does not necessarily say that there's a lot of women working in this space. And that is a problem because in the same way that people talk about male writers' rooms, they talk about on set, you know, it being not quite parity in terms of uh, men and women. If you've not got female ideas, female thinking in the room, especially in equity, you're not going to get the same feeling towards a film. I mean, in the UK, I've been reading a lot quite recently about the fact that there's actually, in terms of investment across the board, not just in film, but in every type of uh, instance, for every four people that invest, only one of them is a female. If we're not in the conversation, and we do have to push ourselves to be in that conversation sometimes, but also it's about knowing that job is out there. So I would like to see more teaching in schools about, or teaching in, in across the board and just saying, have you thought about working in finance? Have you thought about working in distribution? Have you thought about working in exhibition? Because those are a lot of areas where there isn't a lot of women. 
And in order to be able to make films that are made by women, I think you have to have women in the conversation in the first place. I would love to see more women moving into finance. A lot of people who come into film, we I have a lot of producer friends who do courses at universities and they say you go into a, a film course and you ask people how many people want to be producers and you maybe get three or four and how many people want to be a director and most of the people raise their hands. Most people who want to be in a director will go straight into working on set or making short films. They don't get the experience of working in the business side of the industry. They don't necessarily get the experience of working in a post-production house. They don't necessarily get the experience on that side, which I would like to see more people given the opportunity to work in those companies, as well as more companies basically just being aware that they should be talking to other people, even if it's you know something like creative skill set, going out and talking to people and having more visibility about the roles on the business side of the industry, which I know that they're working towards, purely because of the fact that if there aren't people working in distribution, if there aren't people working in exhibition, if there aren't people working in finance, we won't make any films. Those are the areas that have the money in the first place to be able to pay the crew. So I think there is a lot there for education, paid apprenticeships as well. And I think that the more companies that can offer that, the better, because it just gives you that understanding. A lot of people say to me, how could you work in finance? I couldn't possibly do it. It seems so complicated. And I think that in the same way that before you made a short film, it felt felt complicated. It's just about having the experience and going, oh, okay, well, that's, I, I, I understand that now. And then knowing that you're just building on your knowledge each time. It's about being able to know that job is there and have an entrance into that role, which is, which can be very difficult. But I think that it's a real essential need in this industry. If you're 16 and you want to work in film eventually, See if you can get a job as a runner on set. And it doesn't really have to be that you come to London. There are productions all over the UK. There are productions everywhere around the world. You know, there are companies in Brighton. There are companies in Bristol. There are companies in Yorkshire. There are companies all across the UK. And no one's ever going to spell it out for you in the same way they're not going to spell it out for you in any other industry. But you need to do your homework. And it sounds like a very kind of, it's all on you. But it is because it's your career. It's you that's going to drive you forward. We were just thinking about like learning and obviously coming from a place of not knowing much to knowing a lot more. What is the biggest thing you've learned in your career thus far? Honesty. Just be honest because it's much better to be honest about something and have a frank conversation with someone. You can spend a lot of time wasted waiting for an honest answer and a lot of the time no one wants their time wasted. So just speak honestly. I have been often told by my friends that I am probably one of the most blunt people they've ever met. And I can only work in that way. I will only tell you honestly how I what I think. And I think that that really does push a project forward. We can all sit there and say, oh yeah, that scene, you know, that scene that you've written sounds really interesting, but um, maybe you could think about having a rewrite. If you just say, I don't think that scene works, let's talk about how we make it work you spend so much more time actually getting the work done and skirting around the issue and eventually trying to get where you want to. I think that one of the biggest things that is important to me is to work with people who are collaborative, but are going to be honest. And that doesn't mean you have to be rude or aggressive about it, but just being honest, just saying, I don't think this works, or I'm not sure I agree with that, is a better way to push a project forward, is to push the conversation forward and actually making sure that you have an honest relationship with someone because there's so much confusion and grey area in this industry. It's not worth it. It's not worth the time. And I don't like having my time wasted and I don't like wasting anyone else's time. 
The second most important thing I would say is to find your tribe. Find the people that you can call when it's been a hard day. Call the people who can give you advice where you need it. All of that kind of stuff is super important. Is there something that you've worked with that you'd like to spotlight as being particularly brilliant? I would love to spotlight Daphne Schmon and Emily Carlton, who are the creators of Breaking Through the Lens. They are amazing people to work with. They are so driven, so passionate. I mean, I am working with a ton of people at the moment that I wish I could mention every single name and will probably be annoyed that I didn't mention them. But Daphne and Emily are absolutely amazing. Also, uh, my producing partner, Anika. I mean, there's also uh, the new platform Primetime, which I just think is absolutely amazing. It's uh, an above-the-line database for women, above and below the line. Victoria, who's the creator of that, is also amazing. I mean, honestly, there are so many women I could mention. And Fanny, is there a film that you've seen recently by a woman director that you want to recommend? I have been watching a lot of short films recently. I've started to watch Short of the Week quite aggressively, (laughs) which basically been trying to find really interesting female voices. I think there is so much amazing talent in the UK as well and just like across around the world um, in terms of female voices that... I would love to see more of these shorts directors making their first feature and I would love to see more and more projects being made. All of the projects that I watched at Breaking Through the Lens this year in Cannes, they were so powerful, so amazing, so various and just the subject matters were completely different, the budget ranges were completely different and I am so excited to see these films get made. (laughs) It is a real art form to be able to tell a story and it's a real art form to be able to tell a story in Shasha a short space of time, whether it's, you know, a two minute long short or a 20 minute long short. Mm. And to me, it's so exciting watching a journey. So watching someone short that they watch, that they made two years ago versus something that they're seeing an announcement in the trades that they're going to make their first feature. And for me, there's a really big anticipation about what we're going to see in the next two years because of all the films that are getting commissioned or, you know, starting that journey. So There is a lot of female-directed films that we've seen up until now. I think that it's actually the next two years that are more exciting, especially with the push, the active push with the ITV making the announcement that they will not have any all-male writers' rooms. Mm. Things like that. I mean, I've been recently watching Gentleman Jack on BBC. I'm obsessed with the show. I think it's absolutely amazing. And it's all of this interesting stuff that I really think there was a lot of talk in 2018 of it being the year of women we all know that it takes a long time to make a film so actually I think that 2020 and 2021 are really going to be when we see this active change in the industry and not one or two films or not one or two tv series but a whole host of them that really open up the market to more voices amazing Jasmine thank you so much thank you for having me Thank you so much to Jasmine for coming on the podcast and thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. You can listen to all 27 previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify and Acast. Next week will be the season finale and believe me, I've got a guest fitting of the occasion. Have a good week. (laughs) 